You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Wednesday at 8 p.m. Hey. Uh, Professor David Garfield, along with Dr. Esteban. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Esteban Marconi. And we have a guest already. He's not a doctor, but his name is Mark. Hey, this is Mark. Happy, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, we love that intro. The intro, Mark. Look what we did with you, Mark. Said, Don't worry. Don't love the intro. Thank you for having me in it. <laughs> Put you in. This is going to be cool. So we have Mark Clark with us. And we're going to get to Mark in a, just a moment. But Dr. Stabon, we should do our normal intro stuff for music. Yes, we way. should. So let us do that. Let's, let's waste very little time. Let's just waste just enough time to get people to turn away from what we're doing. So. Tonight's guest, Mark Clark, tour agent. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say tour agent. That's silly. Uh, tour manager, all sorts of things. But we'll get to that in a minute. Hey, everybody. Musicbiz101wp.com. Make sure you go there, sign up for the newsletter. Follow us, Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, at Musicbiz101wp. Every once in a while, I put something up on the TikTok machine at Professor David Kirk Philp. And of course, you're going to hear the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud. Let's give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent Kiss, Zach Brown. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. You want to go to vb-cpa.com where you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine Oi. Vey, a wealth manager at the Fairfront Group. Christine has helped many, many, many professionals all over the world manage their investments plan after the retirement. When you, listener, are thinking of building a bridge to your, your listener financial future, think about the Forefront Group and go to Christine dot. Oi. They, you're slow on the, on the, ve, on the oi. Christine at oi, they, uh, forefront.com. <laughs> leave the last oil off for savings. We've that, that is true. So this is, we've, I, I've butchered this entire intro. I think a lot of pressure with the presence of Mark Clark here. For those of us who can't see, and I'll take a picture of this to post on, um, on my Playboy pictorial um, or pictorial, Mark, the microphone and headphones and hat and the perfect background. And we look like idiots. So it's great to have somebody who's looking a little bit better. Oh, y'all look great. This is great. Let's uh, jump in and say we would be remiss without saying, so what has COVID done to your business? We can get that out of the way. 
Well, I mean, I hope this hasn't been a reoccurring kind of a little bit of a Debbie Downer. I mean, the, the COVID-19 pandemic really, really impacted the music industry in a major way. It, it, it made us take a step back and reevaluate the industry as a whole, who we are as people within this industry. And um, it's really devastated our whole system and way of of life, the ecosystem of what made up the music business and the industry from decades and decades of pioneers that have influenced myself um, and, you know, many, many others that strive to continue building and growing the industry. My, my business currently is, is closed down, unfortunately, but it's given me time to pivot into teaching and mentoring and, um, and kind of give my knowledge uh, to hopefully future generations and, uh, kind of use this time properly to kind of pay it forward per se, you know? So it's been, it's yeah. such a total, it's been a total blessing uh, to see kind of these pillars of hierarchy within the music industry kind of be removed during this time. And people that run arena tours are hanging out with people that just do theater clubs. And like, we're all mingling with each other and we're all getting to know each other and, and share ideas and learn from one another, which I think is a very special thing that I'm definitely not taking for granted. And, uh, yeah. I know once the industry uh, comes back, which it will full steam ahead, we will be such a better, more tight knit community than we've ever been. I think personally. Yeah. yeah we're hoping for some little uh, diamond in the rough here and all this, but certainly time will tell. Well, you think we'll make it by the summer or what? You think in terms of music opening? Yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, more than, let's say 25%. I think 25% is going to work for the summer. Yeah. I mean, I'm staying optimistic this year as a whole. I mean, 2021 mentally for me coming in was very like, this is a 2020 reset. We, you know, we have the vaccine in play now. We have better resources. The leadership is on the wheel strong. We, we're finally kind of finding our groove as a country and trying to kind of collectively be on the same page going into this thing. I think, I think keeping that kind of positive mindset of each playing state by state basis, have their own rules and regulations and policies on mass wearing social distancing. So there's so many different variables that are going to play into yeah. my side of the world, the artist side of the world that, you know, we may not go to certain States because they, they may their policies may not resonate with us and or they may not want to follow our guidelines in place to keep our artists safe, keep our team safe, keep our fans safe and things like that. So those are other conversations to have as well. It's it. I was I was, I was laughing about the other day. It's like Ninja Warrior. If we're navigating as a music business, like first we're going to go through the snake pit and then we got to like do a backflip over the wall. It's like there's there's so many different things in the conversation um, on whether it's all going to come together as smoothly as we want it to be like, right. Like you're starting to see States like open up the percentages on some of their arenas, whether it's 10%, 15%. Um, and they also, all these States have their own rules and regulations, you know, as a, as a touring industry, we are, we don't see walls. We are, we are going through state by state and working, you know, as a collective entity. If we, if each state has its own policies and some States care, some states don't care. That's something that we aren't taking lightly, and I, I don't. I don't. I think that's going to play a major, uh, play in a major way on how we're going to reintroduce touring again. How we're going to, you know, rebuild the touring structure essentially around safety and protocols in the new way. Essentially, right. Michael Rap Michael Rapino uh, made some comments 
end of last week, I believe, in which he said he thought we'd have festivals happening this summer. And his goal was basically 75% outdoor capacity because he thought at 75%, the artists can make some money. They can do what they need to do because you would assume there are going to be some extra costs once everything opens up just because of you need a COVID compliance officer for the time being and safety and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, when, when Michael talks, people listen, you know, he, he's definitely a, he's a ripple effect on the industry, but the key word I took away from that was could, you know, it, we we're all very much still in this uncertainty. And again, going back, going back to the variables that I just mentioned that, there's still a lot of uncertainty around that. We, we have a new variant of COVID-19. I think there's up to three or four that are in circulation right now. And we're still tackling just the first variant, you know, and we, we, we still haven't had enough time to really see how the statistics are going to spike into that. Um, and if, if the vaccine's really going to play a strong hand um, yeah. in curving anything within that range, new variances and stuff like that. But um yeah, you know, I'm always I'm I'm staying very optimistic but trying to be a realist in the situation. I don't want to get my hopes up. I think keeping your head focused in productivity and yourself and bettering yourself is and learning is such a this is such a great time for that because when when the industry and entertainment and things like that get going, like we live in this con we have so much information in front of us now. We get that serious like FOMO, you know, it's hard to get focused and stay focused in and things that you need to really kind of put your time into. And right now, you know, our we're our country shut down. Learn, grow, come to tour management 101, like go to class. Like this is the time to really kind of buckle down. We're all quarantining. Don't you know, as soon as the world starts opening up again, you're going to you're going to want to go outside and you're going to get that kind of sense of your, your focus is going to shift again. So use this is the time to really kind of dial in skill sets and learn and pay it forward. And, you know, all the above, really. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what attracted you to tour management? You know, it. There's so many resources out there right now. When I was coming up, I've been in the industry for around 10 years. Uh, I'm 33 years old. Uh, started around when I was 22 years old. I started out volunteering for band street teams and thought that was a cool, no strings, like on the ground approach to being a part of the team and getting to talk with people that were involved with the band. And that gave me kind of some cool footing around like getting to see how those those kind of teams organized and worked and and through that I would meet people that that would see my work around that and get me opportunities to work my first gig was working the hangout music festival 2010 I, I did artist transport and artist running I didn't really know in the beginning that tour management was even a, a job I didn't even really know what a lot of the roles were going into this I just knew that I was passionate about music. I was driven to, to be in this kind of ecosystem, this space. And, and when I got those positions, started working into that, I would be to find out I'm picking up tour managers going into the music festival. I'm picking up agents. I'm picking up artists. I'm picking up lighting designers. I'm picking up all these people that make up uh, how these shows operate. And I started learning so much. I started figuring out that all these roles existed. Um, and that would be kind of the, the the president for me having more of an understanding of who's the who's who in this industry and uh, start to kind of move shift gears, start move it into it and start figuring out what all the roles are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see you had uh, majored in business. Is that what sort of allowed you to be a 
tour accountant? You know, my my uh, college, my time in college didn't really influence a lot of my music endeavors. Um, I was just a fan, true and true, aside schooling. Um, you know, I I grew up in you know I grew up in Alabama, uh, Bama boy. Uh, I went to Auburn University. Uh, you know, I was definitely kind of following the trend of my friends. All my friends would be like, "Are you going to Alabama? Or are you going to Auburn?" You know, we were like right. definitely that community and. Uh, I kind of just, you know, tried to appease the parents, you know, it's it definitely one of those stories. Where I was like, all right, I'm going to school. I'm going to do this thing uh, to be in y'all's good graces, but I'm more of a like in the field uh, dream chaser type of personality, you know, when I was in the classroom, I was looking outside and I was like, I want to be out in the field. I want to be in it. I want to be in the mix, you know, and I, that was kind of like my passions, you know, as it started to grow, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely did help, you know, please, you know, go, go to college, then pursue, you know, like it, or, you know, if you find something while you're in school, try to, try to uh, get a gig working at your local venue and stuff and take like, you know, a couple gigs there and learn, uh, you know, the inner workings of venues and ticketing and loading gear in and out. And it's definitely will help you out once you, uh, get through the, uh, the finish line of your degree and stuff like that, having some experience on the ground. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you do well in accounting? I'd say I'm a way better accountant now uh, than, than I was in my my earlier years. Uh, handling tour accounting uh, the last decade has definitely helped me tighten up um, all my numbers. Uh, I do suggest if if students do have an opportunity to take a little more advanced accounting uh, classes, please do. Uh, that that'll help you on the road and working with ticketing as well. You'll get to see the numbers and how rooms flow and how seating's getting done and the numbers around that and ticketing tiers and such. Um, I think will help you a lot. Me, I, I kind of was a thrown to the fire type of story. It was like, do you have Excel spreadsheets? Do you know how to use numbers? This is how much money the tour is making. Like we need to kind of budget this out and run through it and make sure that, you know, merch is getting settled properly. The show's getting settled properly and that all these numbers are getting taken into account for runners and taxis and food and catering, you name it. Um, so I, I definitely, it was a little intimidating when I first started, started, uh, but I was able to apply all that and, and kind of get in a groove in my own world and figure it out. But yeah. Is there a show settlement that sticks out? You know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I was on kind of the, the tail, the tail end of, unfortunately, the tail end of like primar primarily majority of the venues and tours I were doing were all independent state by state, you know, Live Nation and AG and Golden Voice, a lot of these major music companies didn't really have like kind of like a full kind of grasp or umbrella on, on a lot of the venue circuits and festivals and stuff. So there, every, every single city I went into, it was a different settlement sheet. It was a different spreadsheet. Like I was having to relearn how my system could work within there. So I don't think there is exactly one specific one that's, I mean, I would say every AG contract is like at, negative five percent font and you can't see it and is a trillion things on one sheet and it's you, i definitely need glasses to see every single number in detail on ag sheets but uh uh and i love all my ag people uh but um yeah nothing too specific but just be prepared you know to to kind of run through those complex uh settlement sheets um but they usually have a live nation rep with you or you know an aeg rep that there that's kind of to assist and make sure that process is is fluid obviously consult your agent business managers things like that uh which help uh but yeah sorry if that was a little long-winded answer 
My bad. It's, it's funny because if you listen to, and you, you guys were on the Promoter One 101 podcast, and uh, if you listen to that, every once in a while he'll get uh, a promoter or somebody who was involved in the settlement of a show going back, we'll say 15, 20 plus years. And that's what let's say they went down to Alabama, they went down to some venue, 300, 500 cap venue. When they went in to settle, um, there was the gun sitting right on the table, you know, right near the guy who they were settling with. And basically nobody mentioned that the gun was there, but everybody knew that the gun was there, you know, and you just kind of got it done, sweat as much as you can and, and hightailed it out of there, you know, and it's much, it's much way more professional than that these days. Although I'm sure there might be in the backwards. Side. Oh, I mean, there's, there's definitely still some of that wild, wild, wild west, uh scenarios that come luckily no guns on the table but uh definitely do get the, get the uh reference there and I'm, I'm so humbled to uh learn from day five one uh henry bordeaux so many and my other colleagues that are with me uh on tm 101 that have such crazy wild stories of like what one that you were saying just like that like you know back in the day i can't even imagine you're ghosting a tour manager and there was just you just go in there and you're just like, you got a briefcase and you're like, we're settling and this is how it's going down. And it's just like, you know, those are, those are the people I look up to. Those are our pioneers that laid the groundwork for me to have a smooth settlement today. Thank you. For, for yeah, and they talk the- about people like Aretha Franklin um, would need to get a deposit before she went on stage and she would carry her purse with her on stage and keep the money, you know, next to her foot yeah. while she was on stage. What? Cash. Yeah, yeah, she would get paid cash. Yeah, cash. And she would be on, you know, on stage with the cash. So, yeah, there're just some really uh interesting stories to going back a while, you know, that are not as much like that these days, I would say. Oh, 100%. I mean, there definitely was unfortunately back in our history, it didn't, you know, uh people, you know, you probably dealt with a lot of kind of bad apples that didn't really have their their heart in the right place. You know, artists were very wary and their teams were, you didn't really have a lot of the groundwork laid yet. So these were the first experiences that some of these artists and teams even had knowledge of, you know, you didn't have the internet to see all these new, the news and forums and, and, and compare experiences and perspectives. They were literally going into it blind, essentially from being the one that's experiencing it for the first time ever, you know? So it's like, they're setting their rules around the, the, the playing field, essentially, you know, to protect themselves. And then just years and decades of that has gotten us to where we are today, you know. Just two quick things to take a, st- a step back, and then Marconi may continue, of course. Um, we ta- you've, you've used the term runners a few times, and we had Mary Jo Kapchka on, and, and she gave us a good example. But can you kind of define for those people who – are listening and don't really know what a runner is. Explain what a runner is. And also, we've been talking a little bit about what settling is. Can you also just, in a nutshell, explain what settling is for those people who are like, what are they even talking about? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so a runner is going to be is going to be our number one person. Depending on the size of your tour, you may have one runner. Uh, and we did we did a, a bookkeeping today, and Adrian Biondo had up to almost seven to 10 runners, which just blew our mind. That's just so crazy. Well, to, to not run off on a tangent about it, a runner is someone that's there to get our shop, to run our crew. Um, we could rent a 15 passenger van and have hire a runner. So a runner is going to be someone that's there for our team the entire day it might be a 10 to 12 hour window, which I do suggest if you're a student interested in 
learning more, please be a runner. That's such a great foot in. You may sit in the production office. You might hear you get to learn so much. There's great opportunities to learn from how a tour operates and where, where the movements that we need during the day. Um, but a runner's just there for us to grab our could be catering, could be hospitality, may need to run me to the hotel, may need to run a bus driver to the hotel to sleep and pick up after the show. A runner's just it's like our our driver for the day, handling all of our miscellaneous needs and getting our crew and team where they need to be. But each tour is going to be different. Might have one runner, might have five, five to 10 runners, depending on how big it is. So that is a runner um, going and, to. And, and the runners don't travel with you. The runners are at each city. Yes. So they're they not are touring prime. with you. You go to a venue and they're supplying runners to you. They are, they are locally based um, drivers um, that are sourced typically through the venue. So if you're ever looking for a cool opportunity, um, a runner's not a bad spot to, to get to kind of see the, the behind the scenes of how these shows work and operate and things they need during the day. You'll learn a lot as a runner. I started as an artist transport driver. It's kind of the, a little bit of the same thing, not exactly, but you get to be around the ecosystem of the industry. You get to learn and listen to these people and you're, that's, that's mentoring within itself. You know, there's never, there's never a bad time for, if you know, you're going to be learning and within these situations. Um, what else? Okay. Accounting, not accounting. Settling. Settlements. Yes. Um, settlements going to be your end of day, finalizing all your numbers from the day. If you're eight. So for some students that don't really know the beginning of the process, an agent and a promoter, uh, promoter being the the talent buyer, you know, of the local city market is going to bring in an artist to come perform at a theater. That's going to be your promoter who's setting the deals with the, the artist team to come in and, and perform a show. The agent is the one that's in representation. I always call him our show lawyer. He is our guy that's setting our contract deals, making sure that our deal is met and that we're good. We're square to get in and do what we need to do in these shows. Um, settlement is just going to be like a, it'll start out as a deal memo, which is just kind of a brief overview of this is who we are. This is what our production needs are. This is a kind of the numbers that we are looking at going into a show. Um, settlement is going to be us kind of sealing the deal on that. At the end of the day, an agent and a promoter will have like later discussions after the fact, just to make sure that everything's fine tuned. But a settlement is going to be me and the promoter rep or the main promoter, whoever's the on-site contact for on the promoter booking side is going to be there with me to make sure the money's good, make sure merch is squared away, that our artist has a check if they request that. If it's cash, make sure you get that in way in advance. Do not ask for cash on show night or they will they will shun you or they just won't have cash. Um, or just make sure it gets wired. I think, I think the cashless world is becoming more of the norm. Um, we are starting to shift out of cash completely, especially with COVID coming into play. The less we can touch, uh, the safer we are and the, the easier our industry will flow. So settlement, making sure your artist gets paid and that all the, the deal in place is squared away and that you're good financially, you get the money. Lodge Club, just one or two runners. I mean, did he? Oh, are you just saying runners for just a show? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, even today, I mean, I'd say Adrian, Adrian Biondo um, is through, through arenas um, frequently. And she said her max was seven to 10. So I would say, I would say on an arena level, you're looking at around seven to ten runners, and for a theater, maybe two max. I mean, you may it may be a one bus, two bus tour, 
Um, you may, you won't need more than three runners for a theater club. And a lot of students um, here and that listen in, um, you may get your start around that. So don't, don't get too much anxiety. You may start with one runner and it'll be a, it'll be a good start um, to kind of navigate that. So, yeah. yeah. We, we often talk in, in class too about, um, I guess the human nature of the artist as they may come into town, and of course you'll know ahead of time, but they have a huge toothache, or they've got a 103 fever because their left leg is swollen. Oh, 100%. I mean, unless it's like a rock doc scenario, which, you know, then I consult my colleagues and put a little blast out to see if there's a rock doctor that can come in and do something a little more in depth. But yeah, you know, it all just comes down to communication. At this point, if we're going into a show, depending on the relationship with the artist, someone's consulted me and being like, we have an issue, you know, an artist is not feeling well and like we need to make sure that this gets taken care of or handled, um, whether he needs to go to the doctor or we need to get him to emergency care or we need to bring in a rock doctor, which is kind of more the norm uh, for any students who don't know what a rock doctor is. It is a rock doctor. It is someone who who is a um, PhD, you know, a, you know, a real a real doctor that kind of is has a history of like, it's like an on-site kind of, um, mm-hmm. an on-site doctor that can come and consult and, and be there for you on-site. If we, if an artist is just like, I'm not leaving the tour bus, we would have a doctor come to the bus mm-hmm. and consult them there. Um, but most of the time we can set up an appointment, just look at advance, have an assistant, look into it, build a listing, present that to the artist and whatever they're con- comfortable with. We, we are a, ride or die prideful industry you know the artist is gonna perform unless it's just the end game like we will we will weigh all of our options um before pulling that plug because that is a big conversation to have that's when you know you have to go to your agent and your your promoter you got to do all the press around that and fans are upset and it's it's a it's another thing and within its own um, to deal with, but, uh, we, we shoot, we try our best to kind of hit all the options and make sure the artist is taken care of as, as best as possible to get him, get him performing again and mm-hmm. get him back on stage. So I haven't heard it yet, but I guess Dave, you have, you, you, t- you co-host tour management one-on-one. Yes. He's one of seven. Ah, okay. One of How did that get started? Um, so, you know, I wrapped up, it's unfortunate. I was looking at my memories, uh, two days ago, I wrapped up my last tour. It's been a one year anniversary of my last tour. I got wow. to take my, finished up a tour with a band called American authors. We, we wrapped up our tour at Webster hall in New York city. I love that venue. I was so grateful that that was our, our tour finale. Cause I've been wanting to go back there since they, they made the, the renovations and it was so, so nice to go yeah. back there and, and see it. Um, but yeah, we, we, I'd wrapped up all my tour counting and, you know, got made it back to new Orleans for, for our listeners. I'm new Orleans based. Um, and, uh, you know, had kind of like a two week window to, to wrap up all the, the end of tour duties. Uh, and then as soon as that happened, it just, we went right into quarantine. It was like the second week of March. Um, and, uh, just everyone was kind of bunkering down. The industry was starting to close down. We were really starting to feel the weight of the realities of, of this pandemic and this, how serious this is. And I think everyone was trying to find a way to 
find a pivot or make most of the time and didn't really understand how long this was going to be. We were like, maybe it's a month, maybe it's two months. We don't know, you know? So people were being very optimistic in what they wanted to do to make the most of the time. And there's forms um, in the, for the music industry uh, across the board. I just threw out some posts. I started seeing the trend that people were like, would you like to learn audio or would you like to learn lighting? People started throwing out ideas to make the most of the time and do live streaming, stuff like that. And I never, I never saw a post for tour management. So in suit, I threw a post out there seeing if anyone would like to learn tour management. Um, I'm like, I'm no, no, you know, certified teacher by any means, but I've been on the road for 10 years. I think I can, you know, we can run through topics and, and, you know, definitely learn mentor in some capacity and share the information. I knew I wasn't going to do that alone. You know, I put in my post, there's so many great tour managers and colleagues here that I look up to that I would love to be on board with me to do it. And, um, Henry Bordeaux would reach out to me. Uh, Jim Rungi would reach out to me, um, would be the first two. And then Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson, uh, had done a previous post that got overlooked overlooked um after the fact and we were like okay cool so we brought doug doug wilson in with us and then through henry and all of our other channels would get adrian biondo on mary joe and then uh once we had five one on do our tour our first tour counting ever we were like you're with us forever <laughs> so five one after after we did our first one with five one uh we were like you're on board with us forever so and that's how we formed our seven and we we thought we initially were only going to do like 10 webinars, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, this will help us pass the time. We'll kind of build this thing. We'll, we'll probably get the 10 episodes and then we'll be back on the road. And now we just said what we just did number 76 or 77 today. Wow. So we're trucking along, you know, we we're and it's been such a great journey and a blessing. I'm humbled to, to get to learn from them on a weekly basis and talk to them and, um, and just to our students as well. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. What's great is that you have a mix of talent in there. You know, you have like five one who's worked with Prince and Earth, Wind and Fire and John Legend. Um, you have Adrian who's worked with Mariah Carey. So she's been in the big arenas. Doug hasn't worked the arenas. I don't think either like you. Um, yeah, I've had my hands in arenas, but never like on that capacity, like being okay. the head head tour manager, head director of the tour. But I've got my hands in and out of arenas. I think such is Doug as well. So we've, we've got some underlying uh, experience navigating the ins and outs of arenas, but never like a, a very like strong director position or, you know, a tour manager position like five one and, and Henry and Adrian and MJ have had kind of their hand heavier hands in those, in those uh, settings. Um, but, but I, we th all I bring think that helps. I think, I think it helps that, you and Doug, you know, especially Doug, you know, Doug has talked about the van tours, you know, and he, because he's been, been still doing that. There are plenty of people um, who want to get into the business who are going to start in, you know, in the van, you know, with a band, you know, and that person's going to be tour manager, merch director, band manager, doing everything, you know, at the very beginning, they get to hear some of that stuff too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think the diversity between our panel really kind of circumferences it all together. You know, like my beginnings were jumping in a van and driving across America and sleeping in a dressing room on a couch while the band played and then woke up and, and helped them load out and drove through the night to get to the next gig and do that. You know, that 
that's, ex- that's invaluable experience that you don't know necessarily realize is experience. that's going to really kind of take you up the ladder a little bit. You're, you're, you're learning, you're growing. The arenas can be very in- intimidating, even for me, you know, especially for a student coming in being like, Whoa, this is such a big space. This is such large teams. It's like, it's important to have those building blocks, those foundational steps of, of working your way into those, you know, you start at three, 300 cap club, work your way to 500, work your way to a thousand, work your way to like a Fillmore, which is like 2000 and then start gradually growing and getting that, this foundational experience is going to take you so much further. Um, I feel, you know, this industry works in amazing ways. You have people that'll get a gig that's going to take them around the world uh, overnight, you know, and, and that'll be their you first have, gig. You, you, yeah. You know, you might have, you might have gigs that are going to get you on the road and traveling around America, you know, doing tours all year long. You know, it's like, you just gotta be prepared for it. But I think, I think the diversity between our panel gives so much perspective for younger students coming in to advanced uh, arena level um, people that tune into our channel uh, on a weekly basis as well. So it's a very diverse uh, demographic of people that are watching on a weekly. Is there a, um, is there a central, information place should you need uh you're a tour manager and you're going to need two extra people to go on or is it all word of mouth and who you you know oh 100 yeah i mean even during the pandemics there's so many great organizations um including tour management 101 not to plug but uh it's a great one for learning but um you had mentioned sober touring and things like that um the roadie clinic has been such a, a great organization in terms of like people that are going through mental health and the, the, the wear and tear of touring roadie clinic has been such a great resource. Uh, when it comes to hiring, uh, you know, we're de- very focused in diversity. I'm a member of, uh, the roadies of color United, um, a member of diversify the stage, uh, which, you know, give a full resource list of people of color that work within our industry. Um, and then also, uh, Bob net is a big resource for our touring industry. Bob net, places, jobs, uh, you know, unfortunately at this moment, it's, it's been slower than, than normal, but during normal touring, it, there's jobs being posted on there on a daily basis. I mean, there's gigs, uh, for people to throw the resume in and talk, but I would say through word of mouth is, is always been the biggest, biggest play in hiring. Uh, but I think our industry is really trying to shift gears on, um, on, our hiring practices across the board. We're trying to re, re, rethink the wheel on that and, and um, look out for our, you know, our touring females, our touring people of color, um, re- rethink the entire wheel together uh, on how we move forward coming out of the pandemic. What about EDM? Is the oh, crew, like crew. crew different for an EDM versus a band, for example? Oh, yeah. I mean, significant, significantly different, but I, we were as pre COVID, we were starting to sh- see the shift of, um, DJ starting DJ producers start to make their move towards integrating more live elements. I mean, uh-huh. I would travel with, uh, you know, my artist, just me and him for some gigs alone, unless we wanted, once production started to build up and our vision started to grow and expand the budget started to, to grow, we would bring on a, a lighting designer you know, a sound engineer, um, a video videographer for content. Um, and then we'd have a VJ because visual, it's a very visual based, uh, genre. So you have a lot of visual content on massive led walls. Um, and then even take it as far as bringing a a tech, but most of the time I fall in as the, 
the tour manager, production manager, tech, you know, I'll be teching uh, DJ equipment uh, and handling all of our special effects. So in the DJ world, you know, for the most part, the TM is wearing multiple hats uh, and, and kind of handling things across the board. But as they grow, you get some more to a headliner. You just see those hats start to kind of fall off. But I would say for the most part, our touring party is like four to five. It's really light. And then we backline we back all of our production for the most part, unless it's just a big North American U.S. tour and we got buses and trucks and things like that. That's a different deal. But uh, those are more hard ticket. Those are more uh, hard ticket show tours, soft ticket clubs, nightclubs, Vegas, things like that. We're just going to fly in and do the gig and fly out. I would, I would assume the rider on those uh, on those shows are quite different than I mean, the production part of the rider. Quite different than on a, a rock show or whatever. Oh, 100%. And for students who don't know, I know this is kind of a side thing, that don't know what a hard ticket show is versus soft ticket. A hard yeah. ticket's going to be like, I'm a diehard fan for this band and I'm buying a ticket to go see this show. A soft ticket is going to be like, I'm playing, we're playing the MGM Grand tonight and we're on a billboard. And like, no matter what, no matter who, what artist is playing, People are just going to party and drink and stuff like that. You know, it's not a hard ticket theater, sit in a seat style show. It's just uh, we're playing a party and no matter what, whether we're playing there or not, fans are going. So it's just it's kind of the variance between like true fanship buying it like this ticket holds this amount of value versus this type of club setting is very like they're going to be packed no matter what. And we're just going in there and playing it. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say it varies deeply depending on where, what you're, where, um, what level of artist you're at. For the most part, it's all fly dates. We're flying in, everything's backlined, typically have four to five people with us covering everything, uh, versus band world. We've got the whole crew with us. I mean, we've got sound engineer, we got a production manager, we got a monitor engineer, we've got um you know stage manager we've got our guitar tech or our drum tech um you know team that covers the whole spread lighting designer um tour manager tour assistant someone that might run our vip you know we might have catering on board depending on the tier level of the the tour um so yeah so it's it very significantly and um i don't think if i if i would have if i would have stuck in rock primarily um, I would probably have way more road miles uh, in the U.S., but moving into electronic, um, you are available to really go anywhere. So we did a lot of world international travel, whether it's in Europe, Asia, Australia, India, uh, you name it. it. Took us a little bit of everywhere, which I don't think is the norm for more with bigger bands like that because you have so much gear, you have so many moving parts. Um, and I think that kind of makes up the difference, uh, for the most part, you're able to, you're, you're able to plug and play. You're able to backline everything. You don't have to bring all your road gear with you. Now, Questlove is interesting because he different type of DJ Questlove will get a call, um, in non COVID era and he'll fly overnight to Bahrain or something and DJ a party, not the type of DJ where it's, it, it's really, uh, it's a party. It's different worlds. He, yeah. Like there's DJ DJs and then there's like, then there's producer DJs. Yeah. That are more he's, like mainstream. Yeah. So the, yeah, he's a DJ DJ taking existing music and just making a party fun and getting paid a lot of money and then flying right back 
And then you're working with the DJ, the producer, you know, folks. Who yeah, artists, yeah, artists that are making music or making their own music and building their entire fan base organically that way. Um, and, you know, artist fans love their music and are they're performing their their own created music obviously all the artists kind of they all support each other so when they are they are it is a mix of djing as well you know there's a lot uh there's a lot of artists that they support so i mean their sets aren't 100 their their music they are kind of flowing and jiving so there is that kind of mixture between you're getting more original and then you're getting you're getting a mix of different styles and stuff as well and sets so it kind of fluctuates like a little bit Mm -hmm. You guys did a really good, when I say you guys, uh, the Tour Management 101 team did a really good show not too long ago, not, not too long ago about touring etiquette. And um, I'm going to ask you in a sec to give me maybe a couple of points that you think are really important in terms of etiquette when you're on the road. As you think of those, to give you a, a second, um, one yeah. thing I heard and learned about was called hot bagging which I had never heard of. Marconi, do you know what hot bagging is on a bus? No. This is great because I heard it. Uh, Henry Bordeaux said, mentioned hot bagging um, as it relates to the bathroom, but he didn't explain it. And so I texted Dave 5-1. I said, here's what I think hot bagging is. Basically, if you have to, if you really need to go, number two, you go into a bag, like a plastic bag, you, you, you're done, you twist tie it, um, to, to stop the smell. And then as soon as the bus stops, you take it off the bus and get it away from any said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So it's, it's interesting how um, you look at a phrase like that, because the, the whole thing is don't poop on the bus, um, which right. you think about, but they have a toilet on the bus. So you'd think you can poop on the bus, but you can't, you can't do it. Um, which, which is one thing that, you know, that, so that was a, for me, I'm all about the poop, so that was interesting to me. But um, so I just want a little time for you. Um, what do you think are some things that you think people wouldn't necessarily know? Even your layman would not realize. Oh, you can't do that. Like sleeping, you have to sleep feet first on the bus in case of an accident, so you don't hurt your. That's a, that. That's a good one as well. Yeah. Um, did you not sleep with your head facing towards the front of the bus? That is just calling for an accident. Please make sure you're sleeping with your feet towards the front of the bus and not your head or you will break your neck if there's an accident. Um, you know, there's many variances of what etiquette truly means. Like Henry bringing up the one, like don't do number two on the bus, you know, like that is like the golden rule. Like, um, but also etiquette plays into kind of more like the mental game of learning how the field works, you know, how we communicate with like, say I'm, say I'm a support act, you know, like how am I communicating with my hierarchy of tour managers? There's etiquette around that. Like, how am I, how am I settling my contracts? Like, what are my relationships with the promoter? Like if I'm the headliner and I sold out the show, like I have a way heavier upper hand and anything extra and having a smooth day and things like that. And know my relationships, like there's etiquette around that too, you know, like how you're interacting with people in the field, and knowing your cards that you have, there's, it takes a lot of experience to, to kind of navigate that and, and figure out where you, where your hand is on that chessboard. How do you move your pawns? How are you talking to people? How are you um, presenting yourself to the scene as a leader to not only your team, but in representation of your team? Um, 
I don't know if that kind of answered a little bit about it, but I know going into specifics uh, like hot bagging and little, little tricks of the trade like that. Um, I would say, I would say um, in an etiquette world, just don't, uh, I would just say always respect is going to take you the furthest in this industry. You know, always listen. Uh, what someone told me one time, just shut up and listen and you'll learn. Um, these type of etiquette notes, I think will take you the furthest. Um, and just, just knowing, knowing when to move that pawn, pawn piece, you know, and, uh, I think that's really important. Um, and I think, um, if anybody uh, saw the movie, take me to the Greek, um, there, there's, there's a piece of etiquette in there that, uh, Diddy actually tells, I suddenly can't remember his name, um, but basically you don't become friends with the artist. And you guys actually spend a decent amount of time talking about, the artist is at a certain level and you are not their friend. You know, you are there if they start talking to you and telling you things, that doesn't mean you're their friend. You were there at that moment and you guys sign NDAs. And maybe you could talk about that for a second too, the whole non-disclosure that you guys yeah. started the tour and getting to sort of where we're going there. Oh, for sure. Thank Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I've always said we're, we're professional tightrope walkers. Um, you know, we try to find this, this common ground between, um, being a friend and being someone that they can trust and someone they can listen to while also keeping business on the forefront. They, we are there, they are our boss, um, at the end of the day. And, um, and it, you know, each one, everyone's going to have their own experience, you know, like at higher touring capacities, um, and a parties and things like that tour manager may never see the artist, but then you see those special relationships with like Henry, where he's like, you know, he started to grow with Tyler a little bit more and he's starting to have a little more of a relationship there with him. And even, even for me working in electronic music, I'm at some points, it's just me and the artist. Like we're, we're best friends. I still talk to all my artists today. I mean, they, they are, we're brothers, you know, in the earlier touring of their come up, um, you know, it may just be me and him flying in and do this thing. They may not have the budget in the beginning to bring in any extra crew. So that's a, that's a unique, uh, dynamic as well, um, to put into approach, but that all those, all of the things that I just mentioned play into that fact, you know, you can never go, you never want to go to friends. You need to, you need to have that common ground agreement that, you know, I am here to work for you. I may have a family. I may have kids like you are my boss. Like you're, you're paying me my salary. You're paying me uh, to live and survive. You know, there's gotta be a line set um, uh, going into that and navigate. Um, so it, it, I think it varies from, from team to team. You might have artists that are super extrovert, super friendly, want to be friends with you. Want you want you to be there with them. Like I had artists that lived in Vegas and they wanted me to fly and stay with them after tour. They wanted me to come to Vegas and help them and do and be in Vegas. So it was like they had an extra bedroom and I had a house, you know, I lived in Austin and, uh, and I was spending more time in Vegas or, you know, I had an artist in Montreal and he wanted me to come and be there with him between tour dates because maybe he got a little lonely off tour and he wanted a friend to come and work. And I had no problem. I'm a travel junkie. So I'm like, sure, I'll work out of Montreal and We'll hang and then we'll go to Europe or something, you know, and and then you might experience the opposite of that. You might experience an artist that's just straight business, get in, run the tour, take care of business, may have some light interaction. And that could be the the only, you know, dynamic you have. And those are just you just got to be prepared for the for the color wheel of it, you know, 
every team's going to be different. Management will let you know in the beginning, like this artist is very friendly and wants to hang out with you. Is going to want to hang out and do X, Y, and Z. Just make sure you're, you're talking about those things when you're going into the hiring. I think all the initial conversations you have with business managers and uh, will take you far in terms of like, how is this going to look? You know, like what's the type of art? And what, you know, ask, there's never going to be a bad question when you're going into the hiring process. You just want to make sure you're covering all your grounds and, and know what type of artist you're dealing with and you know, what kind of, what's going to be the relationship variable, you know, dynamic with that artist, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Mark, we have about two minutes left. You have a final question. I was just uh, <laughs> reminiscing on a very, uh, about the hot bag thing. Uh, about, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but my wife and I, we got the opportunity to take a senior citizen group to uh, Cape Cod and Nantucket for the weekend, for three, whatever. So we got there Thursday morning at 6.30, we're meeting at 6.45, and already some senior had taken a dump on the bus and the school opened at 7 a.m. I mean, they couldn't wait till 7 a.m. to do this. So now I had to navigate with the bus driver where we were going to stop to unload all this because the stink was just <laughs> horrendous. So I could say uh, first-hand oh. account that, yes, don't ever poop on the bus. Do, ever. Not, do not poop on the bus. The uh, EMD artists, are they... Basically, have the same type of contracts where they're working on um, verse or plus deal with a guarantee. Yeah, um, when we're doing our more, when I, when we do our hard ticket dates, we're going to see more fluctuation between plus plus percentage deals, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. If we're doing a private gig or we're doing club dates, more, yeah. for the most part, it's going to be flat guarantees. We're right. not playing right. with tickets into play. It just we're paying you X, Y, and Z, and this is it. And this is what's on the contract agreed. We fly in, do the gig and get out. Um, but yeah, we do see in, in EDM. Um, and for students that don't know, I'm sure we have a new gener- generation of students that understand what EDM is. It's electronic dance music. Um, you do start to see the fluctuations of touring styles where we do, we do see a full mix of that plus deals, you know, percentage deals, flat guarantees, you name it. So yeah, to answer your question, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. So we do need to wrap it up because we're coming upon okay. So Dr. Esteban, I want to thank you very much for being here with us tonight. Well, thank you yourself and my colleague, of course, that yes. keeps the show together. Yes, okay. I, I, I'm very happy to be here myself as well. And Mark Clark, Thank you, Mark Clark. Mark yes. Clark for being here with us. <laughs> hey, it was such an honor. Uh, you know, thank you for having me. And uh, this was great. And I look forward to seeing you at the next show and get back out there soon. That would All be right. cool. So we'll do it. So at the end of our show, we do not say hello because that would be dyslexic of us. So at the end of our show, you know what we say, Mark? Guess, guess what word we say at the end? Uh, we say goodbye and do not go number two on the bus. We say, we yeah. don't go number two, and we say, Adios! I could be whatever you need, and then some fan to see. Oh, your worst nightmare, that's me.